Value Stack podcast is now sponsored by Coinbeast.com. If you need extra one-on-one time to get your Bitcoin questions answered, book a call with a Bitcoin pro at Coinbeast Connect to get expertise you need with topics ranging from security, privacy, mining, Lightning Network, and more. It's easy to get started. Simply go to Coinbeast.com, click Connect at the top of the page, and book a call with the pro for the topic that you'd like to discuss. So uh, thank you guys at Coinbeast for sponsoring this show and um, check them out at coinbeast.com to get the Bitcoin support you need. Now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 15 of the Value Stack Podcast. I'm Bo. I go by Shape Your Funds on social media. And I'm here with my esteemed co-host, Zach, or BTC BAP. Happy Tuesday, brother. Yeah, you you too, man. Uh, Yeah, I've been off Twitter, dude. Going three months strong. So um, I'm like fading into the obscurity like Trace Mayer, man. Working. I feel like I feel like I don't know what's going on anymore now that I'm not on Twitter. Um, so it's a good thing that you keep me up to date with uh, with the podcast. Yeah, dude. Well, the the price of Bitcoin doesn't change anymore, so you don't need Twitter to for for that. I guess uh, Bitcoin thirty nine thousand. You don't even have to look. Yeah, it's a uh, where's Den is. Uh, went from 58k forever to 39k, yeah, uh, forever, and uh, yeah, it's like a stable coin now, which is fine. Like, <laughs> I didn't fine. know this is what the CBDCs were supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I'll, I'll take a break from Moon, is like, I'll happily take a reprieve from the pin downward pin action that it, we've had. S- which I feel like since what episode ten or something nine, <laughs> basically since we started yeah. this, we started this in what April when Bitcoin was like sixty k. <laughs> we'll get back there. Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry everyone, we ruined it. The Value Stack podcast. Yeah, like we well, were that- we were like the top indicator, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're still um, doing it. We're 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 still doing it. We uh, yeah, we've got. We're going to persevere. I think uh, Bitcoin's going to be higher at some point in the future, but uh, going nowhere too fast. Uh, Why don't you tell our listeners about the Fountain app? Yeah, Fountain app. They are the newest way, I guess. Maybe there's other new podcast streaming apps, but uh, we're on the Fountain app, which is a podcast app where you can stream sats. It's the smallest unit of Bitcoin in real time. Uh, to uh, and to us and support us, uh, and you can also make clips. So if there's a part of the podcast you really like and you want to share it with your friends, you can clip it, which you can't do on. Uh, maybe you can do this on YouTube now. I don't know, um, but you can do it, and then you can share it on social media, uh, and you can tip us and do all that cool stuff. So I think I've heard they're coming out with ads at some point. In the, I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff going on, but um, this this whole revenue model to creators directly to creators is this isn't this is a train that's not stopping 
um, the middleman is constantly being, you know, uh, squeezed uh, as it should be. Mm-hmm. So yep. we're on the Fountain app. You can search Value Stack and stream us some sets. Hit that oh, boost. Yeah. Boo, 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 boost. They said if you mention that, that people are more likely to boost. So I'm going to say <laughs> it every episode. Uh, um, but yeah, dude, let's get to uh, some current events. Uh, there's a lot. Uh, World War III I've, has started. I'm, I'm just going to commandeer this because... Um, I, I haven't really prepared what I'm about to say, but I think an overarching theme when we're talking about all the different topics that we want to hit on for current events this week, I think the the overarching theme is the dollar is going through an extremely transformational period right now. And so I, I just want to start with like the really dumbed down simple history of how the dollar got to its reserve status. Uh, try to keep this really short and then we'll talk about what's going on in Russia and Ukraine and knock on effects now with China, Saudi Arabia. Uh, there, there's a lot of interesting things going on, but, um, but, but basically in essence, following world war II, the world decided that we would hold on the, the United States would hold on to most of the global uh, gold reserves uh, at, at Fort Knox. And then the dollar would be pegged to the gold that is held in the vaults at Fort Knox. And every other currency, basically at that point, uh, would be pegged to the dollar. Okay, fast forward 1971. What the fuck happened in 1971? Well, Nixon took us off of that gold standard. So no longer was there the peg between the dollar and the gold in the vault. And um, actually, our, our buddy Sam Callahan was on... Uh, Preston Pish's podcast talking about what the Bank of International Settlements does, what uh, the World Economic Forum and all all those international bodies, what kind of what they do. But to again, the really dumb short down version uh, (laughs) is that they would basically watch the world's imports and exports and everything going on. And they would decide, you know, kind of help facilitate what currencies uh, were valued to each other. Um, now, nowadays, that's mostly all out the window, and the dollar is basically free floating on, uh, well, a, a number of different things. I mean, I would say the most important thing that gives the dollar its value is our vibrant economy and our government's ability to tax our economy. Uh, we do have a very special economy, a, a very value added sort of economy. So um, I, I think that's where a lot of the dollar's uh, value comes from. But on top of it was this artificial value that we gave the dollar because we basically forced the whole world to buy their oil in dollars. So anytime a country needed to go out to the international oil market, they need to buy dollars first, thereby giving the dollar a stronger value than it otherwise would have if they could trade uh, oil in gold, renminbi, um, you, you name any other currency, euro. So. What's going on right now is the <laughs> Russia is invading Ukraine and it's a super, super sad, shitty situation, but I think it's, it's a calculated one on, on by Putin. Um, I think he had to know that we would take him off the SWIFT system. I think he had to know that China was going to stick with him and continue to be a trading partner with Russia. I think he knew all this coming in. And the reason why he's comfortable giving his oligarch friends himself and his 
you know, the, the, the Russian people such a such a hard deal under all these sanctions is because the the bigger goal that Putin has is to basically get the world to stop using the dollar for oil trade. And according to Putin, that fixes a lot of the world's problems. He said so explicitly many times throughout the years that he thinks that the dollar hegemony is um, basically bad for everyone but the American elite. I disagree with Putin on so many things, but this is one thing I probably agree with him on. Um, I don't think we should be enforcing a, a dollar as a global reserve currency. I think if it's naturally that way, because we're wise about how we manage our currency, then it, by all means, the world can use the dollar. But I don't think anyone should be forcing the world to use the dollar. And um, news came out just this morning that Saudi Arabia is exploring buying or selling oil in the yuan, in the, the Chinese yuan. So I think this is the start. Uh, I think you can argue that the dollar started to lose its reserve currency status going back to the early 2000s. If you look at how much oil trade was done in the dollar, Russia was mostly using the dollar at that point. We've basically been on a slow downhill leak where less and less of the global oil trade is in the dollar. And now it just seems to be falling off of a cliff. And if we start to have countries like Saudi Arabia bold enough to sell their oil in any currency that the countries buying the oil want to purchase it in, uh, this is going to be <laughs> really bad for the U.S. dollar. Now, the dollar has gotten really strong since Russia's invaded Ukraine, and that's just that's what happens when there's risk off. Uh, basically, people sell risk assets all around the world and buy generally the U.S. dollar, buy treasuries. Um, so that's just kind of a short-term thing that's going on. But I think if we look at the next five years, the dollar is about to get pretty weak compared with where it has been. And frankly, I don't think that's such a bad thing. Uh, I think that, you know, Donald Trump talked a lot about bringing manufacturing back to America. Well, this is how we do it. More competitive exports. If we can compete with the rest of the world and actually manufacture things here in the United States that we can viably export. Um, well, that's bringing manufacturing back to the, the United States and um, making us more self-sufficient, making our supply chains more in-house. Um, a lot of bad and good going on right now. A lot of changes in a short amount of time. Yeah, man. The do- the de-dollarization is. I mean, we know it's inevitable as Bitcoiners, right? That's. It's like what the point is, but it, it, yeah, it's a mixed bag. I I agree with you. Like that the reason that our exports have gotten so uncompetitive is because of the relative dollar strength. Um, but we already have such a high cost of living. It's, It's outpacing wage growth. Further inflation will just make that worse. So. I'm not excited about it, you know. I understand like what you're saying about like the long-term balancing trade. I think and I I think I agree with what you're saying about Putin too and that he sees this as an opportunity where America's got there so much so much shit they're dealing with right now that like they they don't have time to get involved or the resources to get involved to waste on a war. Um and about oil, you know, if you look, I've seen all these maps of Ukraine it look like where most of the oil is in Ukraine, it's like off the coast of the 
Crimean Peninsula, or it's in eastern Ukraine and like the Luhansk, like all of, like that whole like eastern province that is where they sort of struck first. So, yep. To me, it sounds. I mean, it, it's it's obvious that it's about oil. Um, the Swift similar retaliation about that. We're still in winter and a lot of deep winter, not so much now, but we were a couple of weeks ago still. Um, and the irony is that I watched this thing on, maybe it was Vox. I don't remember that. It was like this investigative thing on Ukraine conflict. And they talked about the Russian military's ability to mobilize mobile pipelines like extremely quickly. And, but that was also one of their weaknesses is that they were running out of fuel, running out of oil um, in order to operate their equipment. So I think if you're going to win this conflict, you know, it's maybe it's a logistical conflict because you're certainly not going to win with attrition, not Ukraine against Russia. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got to be like a logistical outplayed um, maneuver. And I, I think like, you know, towing tanks with, Farm farmer trucks, farmer tractors is uh that is has <laughs> some chess moves there, man. So, uh, um, so yeah, I, I do think it's about oil. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, everything's about oil, dude. Like, we use gas to go to the to go get groceries. We use oil to power machinery that farms our food. We use petroleum products to make you know, surfaces and yeah, that pen this electronics were like made with, you know, all kinds of materials that are probably byproducts of the, you know, refining process, you know, they even make like, you know, what pillows are like, you know, it's like, dude, everything is like, you know why? It's because oil, I was listening to said guru. You ever heard of said guru? Um, this guy was talking about how like we're all connected to the soil and He's like, you know, people argue about religion all day. Where do they go after? And he's like, well, you can argue about where you go up, but we all go down into the ground. I don't think anybody like argues about that, you know, like on a very, very visceral level. Um, but what's interesting is like, it's no surprise that oil, like oil is an organic substance. Like it is like the product of living matter. Right. And that's like very, very, very hard to recreate. Uh, because life on earth is like unique. Like as far as we know, there is no other life anywhere else. I mean, that's probably not true, but, but as far as we know. And so it's strange. Like I just had this kind of realization that I was like, huh, like we're all like really connected to the earth, like ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? Whatever. Um, but yet also our whole economy, like life kind of revolves like around this organic substance of which was once life, but is now dead. Mm-hmm. And, and I just thought that that was, it was very like full circle type feeling, you know, it's like, huh? Um, yeah. Both, it, bo- both Elon Musk and Mark Andreessen have gone on rants on Twitter just in the last couple of weeks, basically, pounding the table saying, what is America doing? Let's deregulate fracking. Let's, um, you know, let's do as much 
in the energy space here domestically as we, we possibly can. Uh, it's a matter of national security at the moment. Uh, look at what's going on in, in basically all of Europe right now. It's, it's a mess with the exception of France because they've kept their, uh, their, their nuclear reactors going. But um, here in the United States, it's, it's just, it, it, it's a mess. We've, I think we've overregulated the, the oil industry and I'm the type of person that was like very ESG or so I thought. Um, uh, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I still am like, I, I'm not the type of person that is going to deny that there's a climate crisis. There absolutely is. I think that humans are changing the, changing the climate and it, it's really, it really sucks. But you have to look and be be practical in this day and age where you have a three pronged cold war going on with <laughs> one of the world's largest exporters, Russia, the manufacturer of the whole world economy, China, and the United States, which dynamic, vibrant economy. Um, basically, if we're not energy independent, um, that's bad for so many reasons. Uh, not the least of which is carbon emissions. So like my argument towards ESG people is like, if we if we uh, uh, get our oil here at home, we have some of the largest reserves in the world. If we get our oil here at home, the way that, that we extract it from the ground, the way that we refine it, the whole process leads to about 25% less carbon emissions than if we get it from Venezuela or most yeah. OPEC nations. So, so we well, tend to import from these OPEC nations. If we did it here at home, at home it's better for the whole world. And so it's better I, for us. I spoke with someone in the oil and gas industry and they said something, they were like, well, it's easier said than done because of the refining. And I was like, I, don't, I didn't get it. And he explained like, our refineries the infrastructure was built decades ago. Most of the refineries are decades old and were built to refine a certain sulfur level, a certain refine, like a certain level of quality. We actually have the problem where our refineries were, were designed to, I don't know the percentages, but like more higher, lower quality grades, higher con sulfur content our refineries were designed in general to tr deal with this cheaper lower grades oil that we were getting from other nations uh they call it sweet and sour crude the sour crude mm -hmm. is the higher sulfur content mm -hmm. and now like we're getting all of this like sweet crude like where it's like there's this really like we've got very clean very low sulfur content oil in america as, as far as I know, I mean, I'm not an oil and gas expert. Do your own research, people. But yeah. like, maybe this helps you down a rabbit hole. Um, yeah. But we can't refine it. Where like we have it a sounds... much limit, much lower limited capacity, so we wind up exporting this oil. So it was like I remember he says like, yeah, like we get the oil out the ground in America and then ship it to you know so and so to refine it because we don't have the right type of refineries here. And I was like, what? Yeah. And I had no, I was like, I need to look into this more, dude, because I'm not, I've never heard anything like this, but I, but I had heard like the sweet, sour crude, Brent versus WTI. So I was like, okay, there's, he's that, I mean, the dude like worked in oil and gas his whole career. So he definitely knew what he was talking about. Yeah. Interesting. 
that, that reminds me, I used to live in New Zealand and something that they have going on there is they uh, mostly consume milk from uh, New Zealand dairies, but I guess they ship the milk off to somewhere north in Asia. Um, then they dehydrate it and then send it back to New Zealand. And most New Zealanders, most Kiwis are drinking dehydrated milk when the raw stuff was uh, was taken there straight at home. I'm not an expert on the dairy dairy industry, but same idea. It's like just yeah. like the way mar- markets work, shit gets set up a certain way, and then there's a profit. There's a profit yeah. incentive there for some somewhere. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. Like yep. it must be cheaper to export it, dehydrate it there, and then ship it back than it is to just do it at home. Right. Now, obviously, this is fixing currency. Uh, like ambiguations like this, fixing these like mismatches, that will help emissions because this all of this transporting all of these raw materials from location to here, it's more competitive to ship it. Well, fixing these like logistical problems will reduce emissions as we it's are, are unnecessary at least. Mm-hmm. While we're on this topic, I want to talk about one more thing that's current event. Uh, that is also harebrained and so frustrating in my opinion. But if you, I think we talked about this on our last episode that basically we were, um, I I forget at that point if we had taken Russia off the SWIFT, well, the the, the SWIFT system, well, now that it's happened, uh, I just want to say how it played out was basically we exempted Spurbank Russia's largest bank, the bank that basically acts as the intermediary between Europe buying energy from Russia. Um, so we didn't sanction Spurbank because Germany would basically freeze their population freeze, if we right. had done that. So we exempted the largest bank that helps the government sell their oil and basically sanctioned all the f- consumer uh, hard not to cuss of this, basically sanctioned all the consumer banks. So we cut off all the Russian people and made absolutely no difference to, to Putin and his cronies and, and the money yep. they can, can continue to take in. It is you know, such a clown clown world. <laughs> and and dude, uh, if you've ever seen the movie Serbia with no. Keanu Reeves, he it no. was like came, came out a few years ago. Um, I, I wasn't really paying attention to the movie that much, but I just remember like one specific line where Ke- like or somebody dies or like gets in a fight or something bad happens. And Keanu Reeves is like a w- American in Russia and he hands her this lady money. And she just mm-hmm. looks at it and she's like, you Americans think money can fix everything. And mm-hmm. it just st- stuck with me because A is like, I watched it like last week, right? But like B is like, because that's exactly what we're doing right now in Ukraine. It's like, we're not, I mean, here, take some money, take some money that we just printed and just leave us alone. Like, here, this will yeah. fix it. This will fix it. No, it doesn't. Your money is like losing effectiveness every single time you do it too. And the enemy yeah. knows that. <laughs> so um, yep. but yeah, I just thought that was funny because it's it's literally like to me what we're doing right now. We're just like, we're going to send all this help. But dude, we're not sending help. Not, I mean, I don't keep up with all the current events in this conflict because there's way too many too and I have a job. But <laughs> what I do, what I do see us doing more, uh, we're at least more vocal about this than anything else is like, we're sending money. 
we're sending equipment. Like, what is what? Money. Like, it's all just like, we're just sending our, our war chest. We're not sending people. We're not sending, like, you know, people who are trained to operate this machinery. Like, so mm-hmm. maybe we are. I actually, like, maybe we are. But all I see is, like, Biden talking about, we're sending 20 million, you know? And it's like, like, the, the whole Bitcoin trucker thing, like, that was one thing. But, like, the sending money to Ukraine, like, was another Bitcoin crypto you know, donation. It's like, we're all just sending them money. Money doesn't help you when people are blowing you up because no one's there to trade. So mm-hmm. my opinion, hot take, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. I think the, <laughs> either we, we send money or, uh, or totally like I recognize that there is no good solution. Yeah. That's part of the problem. Is yeah. that there is no just like we've kicked it down the road so much that like anything else we, we we our hands are tied we can't do anything else but send money. Right, that's all we did in the pandemic. We were just like, hey, we're gonna shut everything down. We're gonna print money here, citizens here, SBA businesses here. Just take here. Here's some money. Yeah, it doesn't. It, yeah. it like you can only do that for so long. Um, and I feel like that time is running out. Right, like we're in this like fourth turning era. Yeah. Um, where yeah, it's defined, it's, it's defined by crisis. It's, it's, it's really funny you say that. I was literally just going to plug the fourth turning and say, we, we had a brief conversation about this last week, but basically when, when I read the fourth turning just, just a couple months back, um, something that hit me was basically when you're entering a fourth turning, which I believe we're, we're, we're entered, um, mm-hmm. you, want to basically prep um you want to save as much as you can into hard assets you want to be conservative and um frugal basically in in everything you do not not just financially but basically you know if there's there's tough times ahead prepare whatever that means to you um and that's like the exact opposite of what our society is doing at large, uh, with mm-hmm. the exception of, of Bitcoiners. <laughs> so shout out to the Bitcoiners. It's a great time to be to be conservative, to, to save, to save into hard assets. Maybe diversify a little bit if that means holding a tiny bit of gold in addition to your Bitcoin or whatever, uh, whatever that means to you. But um, I, I think there's harder there's there, there, there's harder times ahead. Uh, I think this next five to 10 years is going to be characterized by hardships, um, supply chain shit. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we need to make things at home. We need to be, become self-reliant. We have an energy crisis brewing. We have all of this shit going on. And so just, just be, be conservative, be modest. Dude, I couldn't agree more. I've been spouting off like a crazy person about inflation for as long as I can remember mm-hmm. and way before there was inflation, like people were talking about deflation and I'm like, deflation, you guys are crazy. I was like, <laughs> dollars going to go to infinity. Um, but yeah, uh, it's nice to be vindicated. It sucks to lose purchasing power though. And it sucks yeah. to like more so to see like what's going on in Ukraine. Like, dude, this, this con, uh, yeah, uh, the net, like to our listeners, if you are worried about inflation right now, buckle up. 
I, I, I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that just like what Bo said, to prepare yeah. you. This is not end of days because the greatest part about the fourth turning is that it cleanses all the mm-hmm. shit that's been accumulated over the last 60 years of mismanagement, inefficiencies, God. and poorly designed social constructs that no longer work for the modern person today. Yep. So what I'm saying is, there is a light at the end of the tunnel if you mm-hmm. can make it through the tunnel. So make mm-hmm. it through the tunnel. And the post-tunnel is a new a new order, a new social order, which is controlled. Hopefully, I, I, I pray that it's Bitcoin at the center of it um, mm-hmm. that, that takes the financial puppet strings out of every country's pocketbook our back pocket and allow and, and allows everybody to operate on a more fair global economic stage, which will then over time, it's not going to happen overnight, but will over time result in a more efficient global trade system where you're not shipping the milk that you just got from the cow in New Zealand over to China to dry to sh- and then ship it right back <laughs> to the same farmer, right? Like you spent 500, you know, it's like, like those things won't exist in the Bitcoin standard. Because yeah. the inefficiencies won't be there. Okay. Um, so I do think that there's hope. Um, but dude, I, I mean, I don't know if you feel this way. I'm turning 30 in a, like, in a couple of months. Like, I don't know if you feel this way, man. But I just like, I feel like my whole life I've been living in crisis since a kid. I feel like my early, like up until... Like since nine eleven, like I just I can't remember the last time where I was like America's on the up and up. I've all like since I'm nine ten years old, you know. I'm like something. Fee- I feel like we're on the down and down. Mm-hmm. Even though, and this is what made me miss out on so many stock returns in our in mm-hmm. like our, my early career because I was like two thousand eight. Like this shit is gonna collapse. Like I'm not optimistic at all on this and Mm -hmm. so i would just sit in cash but then i was like wait inflation i can't sit in cash you know and so i just like that's like i know you like you historically have like done much better in investing like in equity markets than me because of that because i'm like the perpetual like dollar's gonna crash whole shit's gonna blow you know um but i've just felt this way for like my whole like since adolescence really and point is is really it's been the fourth turning right it's been like 15 years like since 2005 17 years so you know like so i am so ready to just get this like let's finish it dude like hopefully not not like i want to make it through because i want to start a family and like i I feel like i've been like paying the piper eventually like we'll get there but when we do come out of this you and I and our generation, we're going to be the ones who define what this new era is like, because like, we're like, Hey, we got, we got through this. We put through, we put all this, you know, we dealt with 30, 35 years of bullshit. Um, Mm -hmm. all like all through our entire beginning of our life. Our parents are, you know, 80, 90 deceased now where we are in charge. Gen X is retired. Uh, and, and 
we take the reins and like i think like our generation is waking up and you know it, what i'm saying long story short i'm looking forward to my 40s and 50s i think um if we can get through this our older part of our lifespan and our children's lives because they'll be in like the beginning of the next 80 year cycle will be relatively prosperous um our grandchildren are going to get a kick in the balls because they're going to be like you old bitcoin maxis y'all y'all are so close my even even the gen z is like that like <laughs> what am i kidding but like you know they like they're all like they're going to be like y'all are you know the bitcoin the people who inherited the made it through the world war three bitcoin crisis they're the you know they're the ultra wealthy like they're the problem because they got all the bitcoin and you know like dude history is doomed to repeat itself over and over but like you make incremental like you know it's like the stock market right like if you go up 100 percent and then go down 40 and then go up another 100 like and go down 40 like you're still like slowly edging up along the way. Like you can't expect mm -hmm. a linear path. So right. unfortunately, you know, like we got born in kind of like the beginning of like the throes of crisis, but <laughs> the, 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 the good, the, they'll be mad. They'll be mad at us. They'll be like, Them damn Bitcoiners got to buy Bitcoin at you got 20, you got a whole Bitcoin. And like, right, that will be like a corporation. Right. And they'll be yeah. like, you got to buy one with a week salary. It's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> the millennials had it easy. <laughs> right. They're going to be buying we'll be houses. Like, Are you kidding me? Yeah. They're going to be buying houses with 10 million sats. And we're going to be like, do you know how hard it was to buy a house when we were 30? Right. Right. And, but they'll only, <laughs> they'll only be like, you guys have billions of sat. Like, no, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, they'll be like, you're <laughs> You're like, you're, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of sats. And they're like, you didn't even work hard for it. I'm like, I'm going to take my fucking headphones off, dude. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, you have no idea what we went through. Like, maybe they yeah, will. Yeah, we recorded a podcast. Of, yeah. Well, actually, I, I was going to say, maybe this time they will have an idea because we have this, like, inanimate medium that can't be like, well, I guess it could be servers and stuff could be destroyed. But, like, you know, we kind of have this, like, digital storage where i'm more confident that like the relics of history will carry over yeah. to the future um, that's a good point but yeah it'll be dude yeah grandkids zach, inherit the big they won't what? zach i have a i i want to change gears a little bit i have a, <laughs> okay. a, a really a really simple <laughs> a simple and straightforward question for you does national debt matter uh clearly not i mean the united states has been in deep national debt for a long time uh it's gotten worse there's a percentage of gdp it's even you know it's i think you, you said it's gotten better recently which we can talk about but yeah. i don't think so um i don't think it does i mean should it yeah of course like <laughs> Does it today? No, it's again, part of the problem. Um, yeah, Lynn Alden had an article about this talking about that, like the 
there are limiting forces to like how like just because there's national debt doesn't mean the whole currency just explodes right like debt to gdp over 100 percent doesn't guarantee an unwinding of currency immediately i think that it probably is inevitable over time if you have poor fundamentals but um yeah what do you think does national debt matter i i my argument today would be that it's gonna start to matter more. And um, the, the reason I say that is back to kind of how I started this with um, up to this point, we basically put a gun at the rest of the world's head and said, buy your oil in dollars. Okay, so we imagine this goes away. Then the dollar is just like every other currency in the sense that you have uh, an economy that has some characteristics, you import these things, export those things, what, what have you, you have rules of law, you have different types of industries. And I think the end result of this is that we're gonna be more competitive in many more, more ways than one, but the, the, the point I'm getting at is the, um, the debt to GDP will actually impact the value of the dollar more so than our invasion of <laughs> Afghanistan, for instance. Um, like debt to GDP will probably matter when people, when, when, when central banks around the world are deciding which reserves to hold whether that be gold, dollars, renminbi, euros, yen, um, it, it puts us on a more level playing field. And frankly, I, I don't think that's a bad thing long-term. In the short-term, it, it sucks. But um, Well, remember, too, it, debt, debt's a, uh, Bitcoin's a bearer asset, right? Debt is not. Yeah. And Lynn, Lynn makes it, the point. It's, explain that. Uh, do you mind explaining bearer asset for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, simply, there's two types, two categories. There's money and currency. Money has no counterparty risk. There's no, there's nobody on the other side of the balance sheet collecting. Currency does. Currency has counterparty. So if I have currency as an asset. It is someone else's liability. A money, like gold, like Bitcoin, there is no liability to it. Uh, and the same is true even for dollar backed, like when the dollar's backed by gold. That was a currency backed by money. Whereas yeah. the currency had a peg to gold, which was the one that actually had the sound monetary properties. So Lynn's right. point in this article that mm -hmm. she put out called uh does the national debt even matter um you know it's pretty long as all Lynn Alden's pieces are um but the gist of it is that boring yeah right um <laughs> you guys should read about the rye stones and the how the greg it was a greg greg mcgregor gregor mcgregor like it, or maybe he wasn't the anyway um <laughs> it's no, not no, connor no, sorry. Shout out to Lynn Alden. She's amazing. Yeah. Everything she does. Yeah. Is, yeah. Um, amazing, but also they are exceptionally boring. But I'm into <laughs> that shit. So it doesn't, that is why you listen to Value Stack because we summarize this crap for you guys in a more interesting format. So um, 
the the gist of the points are that does the national debt matter? Uh, duh, it should, uh, but only in a functioning currency money system. So uh, mm-hmm. if your money, if you issue de- national debt in a currency that has unlimited quantities, then no, because your risk of default is zero. You know why? Mm-hmm. Because you can print money to infinity and pay off all your debts. Now, are we being, are we, you know, what's the semantics? Like if somebody prints infinite money and pays me back, I still in my mind lost everything, right? But, um, cause I'm not gonna be able to buy it, buy anything with it. But, you know, the government say we fulfilled all our obligations. So that is like really the difference between like a hard default and a soft default. Soft default is like some bullshit way of li- like flying under the radar. And unfortunately people just, Dude, part of this part of the power of this soft default and why it's effective is that people are unaware. They're just ignorant. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's not to be mean. Ignorance is not like I don't think that's a negative quality. I mean, it's not good to be ignorant about things, but like everybody's ignorant about stuff. Right. Yeah. And many people are ignorant about economics and how money properties work. Like, duh. Like they don't teach you that shit in school. They teach you how the credit card system works. So you go bump, bump, bump and get yourself in debt before you ever even get a head start. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they don't teach people this stuff, but in the long run, that's why like, you don't have to know. It. All you got to use is Bitcoin and like, you don't need to know some, be some complicated, like economists, you know, like right. it, the, the rules can't change and they're not yeah. rigged. So yeah. you don't, you just got to hold it. Yeah. So in, in, light of, in, in light of everything that's going on right now, what Lynn Alden is saying is sort of it. So, I mean, I don't mean to say like I said, but um, it, it should start to matter now if we're not the global reserve currency, if we're not the global reserve currency, perhaps things don't right. change. But If people no longer are okay with the United States printing into infinity, then the national debt does matter. And also, if it, if there's no alternative, then it doesn't really matter. If there's a viable alternative, then it does. And so countries either, you know, keep nominal rates below real inflation rates so that you lose purchasing power over time. That's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. That's a way to, to bleed you out through inflation. Um, purchasing power is a deleveraging essentially because um, mm-hmm. the value that you have for that currency unit is like deleveraging. So the other way they can do it is capital controls or they can right. intervene in the market by buying assets. So it would, it would, Lynn talks about this, like it would behoove you to be familiar with these monetary tools and how they, uh, the central banks of the world can interfere with their markets uh, and the currency values. So I, I just want to butt in there and just add a little bit to that because um, something that is I, I've started to internalize recently and find really interesting is, you know, our, our debt to GDP ratio. And that's the, the kind of the go-to ratio when you're looking at a, a company or I'm sorry, a country's uh, ability to pay their debts. So debt to GDP. And historically, um, Debt to GDP is very high right now, uh, about 107% uh, of U.S. Um, debt 
to GDP. So um, our, our debt is greater than the amount of GDP by about 7%. And um, just to put that into context, that puts us as uh, about number 15 in the world. So one, Japan. Japan. Japan, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> Japan, 238% debt to GDP. And uh, close second place, Venezuela. J- just to give you an idea how, how interesting Japan is. Uh, we always hear about Venezuela. Uh, Sudan is third. Greece is fourth. Lebanon is fifth. Italy. Uh, so we think of all these countries, at least I do, as pretty irresponsible. And I don't think of Japan as terribly irresponsible. Japan can be explained by the fact that they basically had a bubble burst in the late 80s that has, hasn't stopped bursting. Um, well, the demographics play an exceptional role in yep, that. Yep, and yep. also the fact that it happened in the 80s when the rest of the world wasn't going through that is also play, that's playing a factor too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I read, I watched something else that said that Another reason why Japan isn't experiencing the similar inflation is just like stuck in this deflation, no matter how much print and money they do, is somewhat cultural. Like mm. in Japan, yeah. it's it is like very taboo, very off. Don't, don't off, raise prices. Putting to raise prices, but also to ask for a raise in your income, mm. it is insulting to your to your um, company. And I was just like, kind of went down a little rabbit hole about like that. On I found some people on Reddit that were like posting. I was like, how do you ask for a raise at a Japanese company? And there's like all these people. I'm like, what? Like, and it was like very specific. Everybody was like, how do you ask for a raise? The they like wrote this like little thing, and then they were like, uh, they talked about the guy who invented just in time manufacturing. Uh, yeah. Shugo Shigo or something. I think was his name. A Japanese yeah. uh, guy, and they had. How would this guy? He's like the perfect like operations manufacturer. They're like, how would he ask for a raise? And it like goes through this whole thing, and it's like. So long story short, he would never ever ask for a raise and disrespect his company like that. And I was like, okay, I get it. <laughs> Just in time manufacturing, he basically mm. created the world economy that we're uh, Dude. S- suffering the consequences too right Dude. yeah the uh he created uh, Sh- Sh- shigeo shingo this guy created oh is that uh, lean manufacturing right dude he he created he's like created all of the world's leading manufacturing practices at toyota uh he was yeah, an industrial yeah. engineer he created uh yeah just in time manufacturing tps scores lean lean me- meaning yeah, dude, Lean, this guy's like yeah. sales process yeah. engineering. Like this guy created like the all of the anything in like operational management that you may have taken in high school. He created like all of these concepts. He basically wrote the whole book. Yeah, at, uh, at a winery and he would in never New Zealand. Ask for yeah, <laughs> yeah. I worked at a winery in New Zealand, and we talked about that guy a bunch. Um, yeah, moral of the story: don't ask for a raise. Um, <laughs> well, back well, to back to in back Japan. To, to, in, in, here, in Japan, you, in America, you should definitely ask for a raise because you need one. You should, yeah, you definitely need it. Um, Japan isn't experiencing so, inflation like we are. <laughs> yeah, um, 
I, I just want to make make the point here. Um, strong point I'm trying to make. We have negative real yields in the United States. What that means is inflation is about 8% and the 10-year is, let's say, 2%, just, just to be uh, fair. Um, I, I think it's actually 1.7%. But basically, that means that if you go out and you purchase the most you know, run-of-the-mill safe debt that you can, bonds uh, by another name, you're basically guaranteeing yourself a 6% per year loss of purchasing power. And this is really bad for pensioners, for people relying on fixed incomes, and is not so bad for people who rely more on hard assets. I, frankly, I expect stocks to do well in this inflationary period. I think yeah, if you want to keep terms. up with them, yeah. I think if you want to keep up with, with, with inflation, stocks aren't a bad place to fish. Uh, bonds are certainly a horrible place to fish. And so I'm not minimizing the, the, the situation that's going on right now. But, but I just want to make the point that in 2020, the United States debt to GDP was about 134%. And it's 107% now. Now, how did we drop our debt to GDP from 2020 to 2022? negative real yields. When our debt is only being taxed at that 2%, we say, um, basically the, 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 the fixed debt amount, the amount of debt that the United States has in aggregate is only being, I say taxed at 2%, but only basically being uh, hit with interest expenses up to 2%, while the nominal GDP or the amount of activity in dollar terms that's going on continues to rise as we print a bunch of money, what ends up happening is the debt to GDP actually comes down. The debt remains fixed. The GDP goes up with inflation. And so just kind of tying in the the question, does national debt matter? Um, It does. And and so everything's a trade-off. In order to have a better debt to GDP ratio, which might give the dollar more runway, more viability long-term, then we need to screw bondholders, uh, older people relying on fixed incomes, relying on pensions. And if we, the, the other alternative is just raise interest rates really quickly, which we've talked about in the past on this podcast. I don't think the Fed's gonna raise interest rates aggressively, but pretend that they did. Well, that makes the debt a lot more burdensome and it probably slows the economy. So the debt to GDP ratio starts to increase. Whereas now 80 year old people that rely on a fixed income are gonna get more money each year because interest rates are higher and they own mostly bonds. So it's just a a trade-off that I wanna try to explain and say that it's really interesting times right now because I expect there to be extreme negative real yields. And as a result, probably a much lower debt to GDP when we look back at things about 10 years from now. Um, how does Bitcoin play into all this? Now that's a whole different thing. And I don't even know if the world's gonna look much the same 10 years from now. And I think Bitcoin's gonna have a, a, a big part in changing that. But um, at least if we're looking at the current system, that debt to GDP is a a point I want to try to get across. Cool, man.
<laughs> thanks, thanks, for, thanks for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 we, we talked about that uh, before the recording. I, I had a much more uh, enthusiastic reaction when he told me the first time. Um, well, we're, we're getting, uh, we're at 51 minutes right now. Uh, I know we got a couple other things that we want to cover, um, but I'm getting, got to get ready for dinner soon. Yeah. Why don't, um, what, what do you want to cover to end? I think we got what, two, two, two more topics in the boating accent. So should we go, let's call the boating accent here. Uh, or do you want to wait to say that? Yeah, let's do that. Yep. All right. It's time for the boating accident of the week. You all that listen to the show know we talk Bitcoin. Don't mess around with no altcoins. But there was a story that came across, uh, and, and I have been watching this um, altcoin. Uh, big proposal came out from the Juno community, which is a Cosmos blockchain. And ignore that. If you don't care about any of that, just literally stop listening to there. But what I want to... What I want to say, the boating accident, was that Juno is trying to seize $100 million of their own blockchain users' funds by simply rewriting the chain and undoing his uh, and burning his funds or sending them to the community, whatever. And what's interesting to me is that, you know, this is like an on-chain vote that occurred by all the holders. The number of Juno, it's kind of like corporate voting where like the number of tokens you have represents your share of the vote. Uh, similar like equity voting. Uh, but interestingly, like 99%, they had like a 99%, 98% turnout, which I thought was pretty, pretty, pretty amazing, actually, um, for like a decentralized system like that to have. But here's the ir- irony is that, you know, I was reading like Sounds some like of the tweets. Well, well, the, that's what I'm kind 98%. of 98%? <laughs> so, okay, so the, the, uh, the community had a lot of critiques and they were like, he broke the rules. He didn't break the rules, blah, blah, blah. You know, the first off, obviously this is not Bitcoin, right? Like this is a, you know, speculative investment, much different. But the, the idea was that I, I had this thought, I was reading it. I was like, these people are literally arguing like the founding fathers, like where they're like on this new medium, the blockchain arguing and about the same shit having the same problems where they have overcome the same human biases. And this is why blockchain is not the invention. Because mm-hmm. moving voting yeah. to the blockchain does not solve the inherent problem with democracy and voting in the first place. And right. these delegations. So you don't actually, I mean, you can vote your, yourself. I was reading like you can vote on the Juno vote or whatever yourself, but you can also just accept your delegator's vote who does it for you. And this is very, very similar to our current political system. And I just found that like, they first of all, they, they're going through with it. They're cutting this, like, so immutability is not a thing in this chain apparently, which like, to be fair, they never said it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, they never said it was. It's not meant, their, their lead dev was like, we're not Bitcoin, we're not trying to be. So I think that like there is some fair like whatever there's some validity to that I guess um, but yeah dude this is like kind of precedent 
unprecedented. A hundred million dollars, their own community, self-censoring. The reason I bring it up and the reason it's our boating accident is because we're talking about like all the outside censorship from governments, from third parties. It's so odd to me that the community's censoring their own people and therefore crushing the the you know the Thank integrity the sanctity yeah. of the blockchain from this point forward, the integrity of the network. It makes it look like it's a bunch of, you know, goofballs running around controlling this thing. The caveat is that um, it shows that there are a lot of passionate people about this project, which I was like kind of surprised about. Like I had, <laughs> for like a barrel, bottom of the barrel shit coin, like, dude, like I said, 98% turnout. Amazing. But do you know? Even better than North Korea. <laughs> you, you, you design the airdrop to not let the whale get the funds. Fine, respectable. Like you didn't want to include Coinbase, Binance, and all the big big exchanges in the airdrop because the whole network was launched on decentralization. But yet you are okay with censoring it and stealing from your users, which will forever compromise the integrity of the chain and will spe- will will discourage people with a shit ton of money to put money in your ecosystem. Now, so anyway, um this is why, you know, not to, I think it's just, it's not even like a pick at Juno. I think that it's, this is a pick at voting and delegation voting processes. It's like, we created the constitution, the bill of rights. The Decla- like These things came about for a reason because organization of people with dissenting opinions is really hard. It's yeah. really hard. And so it would be, I, what I, I'll leave it this. It'll be interesting to see what comes after this. And if they wind up creating like some kind of like, you know, will it lead to like the first crypto community, like bill of rights? Like, I don't know. It's a, uh, either way, it's not Bitcoin. I don't think it's a good unit of account. So, you know, my take, but, uh, you know, you're a boating accident of the week. Don't censor your, 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 uh, your users actually do whatever you want. I don't care. <laughs> boating accident of the week. Do now. <sighs> And, uh, oh. and this this isn't financial advice, but buy Bitcoin and don't concern yourself with that. Uh, you read that article where the guy was like, "You can't." It's not exoneration by just saying this is not financial advice. It's like you can't just, say, <laughs> you can't just be like, "Not financial advice." Do your own research, but this coin is going to the moon. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> on on that. Uh, okay. In, in that spirit, let me just apologize to my future attorney. I did not mean I did not mean to say this, but Scott's Buying miracle Bitcoin grow is a, is a good Scott's option. Scott's miracle grow is so incredibly undervalued. You'd be a fool not to buy as much ticker symbol SMG as you can buy. I did not mean to say that. This is not financial advice. Sorry, <laughs> Scott's, Scott's miracle grow, dude. I was talking about the soil, dude. We all ashes to ashes in the very beginning of episode. Sadguru. You're saying yeah. we're all the soil. The soil is the most important thing because it is the earth. Like the mm-hmm. soil is the earth. Everything comes from the earth. Mm-hmm. All, or, all organisms, all of nature, the atmosphere, free cash flow, free mm-hmm. cash flow paper, literal mm-hmm. physical, physical money. It all comes from the earth. Yep. Um, so yep. um, let's just cross these last two points off. They're not really huge uh 
huge events anyway, but uh, Stripe is adding Bitcoin payments. Stripe is like the digital payment processor. Um, you know, they're integrated with freaking everything at this point. Um, they are partnering with FTX to allow Bitcoin payments for, you know, all their merchants. So they are seeing it too. Customers are demanding it. People want alternatives. Um, and what's this last point? Uh, have you, did you read the, did you read the, uh, product update? So block revealed their details about more details about their new wallet that they're creating. Oh, I heard fingerprint. Yeah. Fingerprint. It's a two of three multi-sig. It's going to be a mobile experience. There'll be a hardware device involved, but it won't be a ledger. It will be a fingerprint device with no screen, which they also mentioned. Interesting. Yeah. So no screen. They want to make it all about mobile first, easy to use, redundancy and key management. I think it's great, man. Um, they're probably going to incorporate lightning too, because they've got the LDK and overall, um, just very, by, very impressed with, with block. This isn't financial advice, but by square, <laughs> by square. <laughs> I just said, you can't do that. Dude. Block in you know, take your symbol SQ. Okay. Sorry. You know, I'm an accredited, I'm an accredited investor for 12 more days. And I'm going to lose all my securities licenses. Should we sign off? Yep. <laughs> before that happens. So we can fix this in post. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm, if I feel like editing it. Um, um, yeah, man, we're right at an hour. So um, this is what episode 15. Are we already on 15? 15. Yeah. I, I looked up all the spiritual significance of the number 15. I, I had nothing to report. There's, uh, there was there, there's none, nothing, huh? n- nothing worth telling our, our listeners. There's a lot of jargon. Dude, we got a, we got a lot of views recently on our, on our channel. Um, I think like the foundation passport video, cause they're coming out with like the new, uh, mm-hmm. version of the passport. That's got a ton of views lately. And, oh, uh, yeah. so we're at 99 subscribers on YouTube. So literally, do you want to be number 100? It could be you or you. Whatever. I'm pointing. I can't. I forgot which way the camera was pointing. Uh, well, yeah. This is episode 15, right? Next episode 15. is yep. 16. And we are. The age of consent in some states. Yeah. Yeah. That, okay. That's where I was going. That's where I was going with it. Um, <laughs> we're, we're hoping we're hoping to have uh, Eric Yakes on our next episode. I, I've talked with him a bit. We sort we we. We didn't want to record like right after his Peter McCormick episode, just like that wouldn't make sense. And, uh, but yeah, we've been chatting with him trying to get something for a while. So I think we, we settled on a t- like a tentative end of March, which, uh, would put us right around, uh, schedule probably want to be in like first week of April. Um, I'm thinking like we should try to get the next episode out like right before the Bitcoin conference, Eric's going to be a speaker at the Bitcoin conference. Hell so yeah. I think that would be cool that we can like kind of hype him up and ask him like, you know, he, he's been kind of getting a lot of, a lot of, a lot of clout lately, dude. And good yeah. for him, man. I, I, I can't recommend his book, the seventh property enough. Uh, it's excellent. 
it's concise. It's, you know, it's not that long. It's, those are the same basically. Yeah. Hell yeah. So anyway, anyway um, any uh, part, what are we at? We didn't say the block height or the price. We're at, uh, we're we already at know 39,000. We're at 39K forever. Um, and let's see, we are at block height according to my own node. 727,509, according to Clark Moody's dashboard, we're at 39,330. A lot of threes. Is there any spiritual significance to that? Three, two, three. It's half of 666. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that, that must mean heaven's coming instead. So I, I think, think that is heaven a is seven. I think, I think heaven is seven. I think three is just a, a, a chump dick double. All right. And with that, we are going to sign you guys off. <laughs> 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 this has been episode 15 of Value Stack. Thank you guys so much. If you like our content, please subscribe on YouTube. You can follow us on Spotify. We're on Fountain App. Um, we're probably on like Apple Podcasts and a bunch of other stuff. I don't know. But wherever you listen to us, we really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. See you next time.